Let's get ready to podcast. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. In this corner, weighing 500 pounds, you have Ryan and Erica. Whoa. Oh, we're fighting together as one. Two is one. Two is 500 one. 500 pounds? I don't know. What do you weigh? What do you, what do I? Wait, kilograms? <laughs> Damn it. Music. Welcome to New World Pictures Podcast, where we're going to talk about every single movie released by New World Pictures. I'm Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. They call me Mr. Cool Shoes. <laughs> and Erica. I feel like I should go by Erica America. It just makes sense. That's right. Okay. Uh, and joining us for this episode, by the way, this is our 100th episode. No way. Meaning our 100th New World movie. So 100 wow. New World movies. It's not our 100th episode, wow. but it is 100 New World movies. Wow. Joining us for this, he is returning to the podcast. He's a member of the comedy troupe Dr. God, a writer and performer in the TV series Hell Den, and the director of the movie Blood Sucking Bastards, Brian James O'Connell, is joining us once again on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a, a delight to be here as always. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming back, POC. So good to, to see you and to, to, to be with you and talk about a movie, our 100th movie, uh, 100 New World Movies In. And uh, with four years coming up, uh, our anniversary is coming up this month, four years, 100 movies, we, we are going to do this until uh, we die. So that's basically... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this isn't the last episode. <laughs> nope, this isn't it. This is. Uh... I, I I reviewed my contract earlier, and it specifically mm. said when we're done talking about all the New World movies. So you're saying that we, there's more to talk about? Man, that napkin wow. has really held up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know how to break this. I don't know how to break this to you, Mark, but uh, in keeping with tonight's uh, movie, uh, you should really never trust a wrestling promoter at any contract you sign. <laughs> That's not. I knew there. Were, I knew there was a flaw when we hired a wrestling promoter to do our contracts yeah. for a podcast. Yeah, but, not you know, a good he, idea. He, he was cheap. <laughs> yes, was... You, I couldn't resist those shades. Yeah. <laughs> how could you? <laughs> so thin. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, I feel like I'm in an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. It's terrific. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we are, for our 100th episode, we are in the middle of Vidtober. That's where we're talking about all the movies released by New World Video. So we are going with one of the earliest movies that New World Video released specifically onto video. 
1985's I Like to Hurt People. It's a three-ring circus, a Roman arena. The men in the ring are gladiators, and the crowd, the common folk, are getting their chance. Their chance to act against authority figures that they cannot be aggressive towards in their own real lives. Their chance to beat the men around that they feel have been beating them. Wrestling is an action sport, body contact, and regardless of what the opinion of the general public is supposed to be, violence. And wrestling gives you all three, a lot of violence, a lot of body contact, and of course a lot of action. I am not your manager. Tonight, I am going to be in this corner of the real man, the real champion. I'm nervous, I'm nervous, I'm crazy now. Just calm down, just calm down. Chance of the fans getting hurt unless they become involved with the wrestlers. My advice to wrestling fans: stay out of the way. The Sheik, the Novo Sheik, will be there to meet any of you men that have guts enough to accept the challenge. The men in the ring—they're gladiators, and the people around are just as they were in the times of Rome, watching the brute force of one human being against another. <laughs> Oh, that's right. 1985's I Like to Hurt People, sponsored by Jenny's Snake Rental. (laughs) Need a snake to intimidate your wrestling opponents? Let Jenny rent the snake of your choice. Jenny guarantees her snakes will scare your enemies, but she cannot guarantee them against being pile-drived, rolled onto, or what might happen should they slither into the crowd. (laughs) Next time you need a snake for the ring, call Jenny. (laughs) One eight eight eight. Just four. Just four. Just four. Please, S's. if you do five, you can type in more. You can type in more if you want. <laughs> now, obviously, Brian, you chose this movie because I gave you a couple choices, but you were like yeah. wrestling. So, I mean, I, mean, I know yeah. that you are a big wrestling fan, and that's why I kind of yes, knew sir. you were going to choose this one. But, um, mm-hmm. but so how long have you been? I mean, you sent me also an article that you wrote as well for a wrestling site. So, yeah, how long have you? Yeah, and when yeah. did you? When did this uh, love of wrestling start for you? Um, so, I grew up in North Carolina, and that's Horseman Country, to be certain. Uh, it's very clear that's the heart of Jim Pro- Crockett Promotions. Uh, Green, the Greensboro Coliseum was the NWA wrestling, National Wrestling Alliance. That was Mecca. That was where everything happened. Uh, all the big shows, uh, either Greensboro or Charlotte, you would get Starcade, you would get the Great American Bash, uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede, all those big shows. So growing up there, I became a huge wrestling fan because it would be cart- on Saturday mornings, it'd be cartoons all in the morning. And at noon is when you started getting wrestling. And then Saturday nights, uh, on TBS, it was the Superstation. So at 6.05 p.m., five minutes after 6 o'clock, you would get Saturday Night Wrestling. And it was sort of, it was family time. You watch with everything. My love for it really, really came through, I think, when, so my dad's disabled. He was in a car accident in 1978. And so he walks on straight arm crutches. Mm. Around that time, around the time I started becoming aware of it, like, you know, 85, 86, 87, uh, there was a wrestler by the name of Magnum TA, Terry Allen. Uh, Magnum TA because he had he had a big wonderful mustache like Magnum uh, Magnum PI so they were like oh you look you should call yourself Magnum TA instead of Magnum PI and he had a uh, he was in a car accident he was in a one person car accident where he lost control of his Ferrari 
and, and ruined his wrestling career. He walked again, but um, it was that. So there was a combination of like when he came back, uh, he was Dusty Rhodes' protege. He was supposed to win the, the belt from uh, Ric Flair. And so to see him come back with the help of a cane and everyone um, sort of like treating him that uh, – there's this great footage of him in Richmond, Virginia, where he comes back and uh, Dusty Rhodes is walking him down with an airbrush shirt of the two of them on it, which is uh, magnifique. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then so seeing, you know, my dad was a my dad was a retired Marine. And, you know, my uncles had always told me great stories like your dad was the best basketball player and a great dancer. He could do the James Brown from one end of the gym, the other. And so to see everyone treat Magnum T.A. that way, as I'm watching on my ch- television, I was like, as an eight or nine year old boy. And I was like, Oh, my dad's a superhero. And it's like, and then, and then I also yeah. think too, just from us being creative people, when you're growing up in a small town and you don't really know that there's a, such a thing as a, a career in the arts, you don't realize that there's people on the other side of that camera making those things right. happen. Right. It, it's this, the reason why so many improvisers and sketch comedians, and actors are so big into wrestling and fans of it, because it's a lot of their first, especially people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds or from people from the Midwest or from Texas or from the Southeast where I'm from, that's where your, your first, that's your first exposure to acting, uh, right, to right. Uh, big, bold characters, mm-hmm. storylines, good versus evil and all that. And you're like, that's, Oh, that guy's super tough. And you beat up everybody. But also this is like, this is a cool, like this makes sense. I, I <laughs> yeah. like this. Right. Like the good guys are going to team up and they're going to do a tag team match and going to take on the two bad guys and take them down. Yeah. (laughs) I've said forever that friendship based wrestling is the best, the best wrestling because it does not matter if you're young, old, black, white, rich, poor. If two bad guys are beating up the good guy and the good guy's friend runs from the back and chases them off to, uh, to even up the odds because the bad guys certainly won't fight when the, when the odds are fair, you're in, you're on your feet. You're like, yeah. What? <laughs> fucking fucking friendship and love. So. <laughs> You're for it. You're for it. Oh god. Oh, this was directed by Hell Comes to Frogtown and Rollerblades Donald G. Jackson, who grew up loving wrestling and began filming various matches he attended starting in the late seventies, uh, which led to the creation of this film. Which obviously he sold the New World, but I'm not exactly sure when. Uh, in an interview, one of his last interviews that he ever did, he claimed that New World's purchase of this movie is what got him to move from Michigan out to Los Angeles, which is around 1981, at which point he finds work working for New World Pictures and their production of Galaxy of Terror, likely due to the fact that Oscar-winning special effects artist Dennis Skotak and his brother, who knew Jackson from their days in Michigan, actually, and Dennis actually worked on this film. He did sound, he did camera, he was assistant editor. Wow. Um, and they knew him, so they brought him in, and he helped out with a special effects crew on Galaxy of Terror. And uh, I think that's all the, the only one he did. But the Skotak brothers worked on Galaxy of Terror and Battle Beyond the Stars and Forbidden World and all the sci-fi stuff that Corman was doing around that time. So I'm not sure about this timeline, because I know Tony Randall, when we spoke to him, he was in the editing department and in the Corman's New World in the new uh, ownership group. He became a head of post-production and then an executive. And he was instrumental bringing this movie to New World Pictures. I'm not sure. So that makes me think, is the timeline right? Because, of course, this doesn't come out until 1985. I know it sat on the shelf a bit because Tony Randall actually convinced them to give them a little bit more money and finish the movie 
and that I uh, believe those scenes are the the STS footage, all the footage of um, Stop the Sheik, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. whole movement is all later mm-hmm. shot in Los Angeles, not shot in Detroit, where a lot of and Indianapolis and a lot of the places where they shot these uh, wrestling matches. So, so they gave a little extra money to insert a plot into the movie is what to you're attempt saying. to just throw a plot into the movie. <laughs> They're like, yeah, just, you know, this movie's missing is a plot. So maybe we should, we yeah. should bake that in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it didn't really tie a lot of things together. Mm-mm. No, the timeline of this movie is all over because the first thing I bumped on, I, I've watched this movie before, but rewatching it for this podcast, because you know, I'm a professional. I do my work. Uh, the first thing that- <laughs> The first, the first thing that bumped me was early on in the movie where they're doing the uh, the studio wrestling, which is probably their weekly television in the uh, NWA uh, Detroit uh, market that the Sheik ran, and he he right, refers to right. himself as as being twenty eight years old. I'm like, that's 1973. <laughs> is when he's twenty eight years old. <laughs> he goes. I mean, he's booking Florida. I mean, he got the most famous when he was booking Jim Crockett Promotions in you know eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. And so this movie comes out in 85. He's probably still in Florida. He's about to probably go to North Carolina. He's like, 28 years old and I'm the greatest baby. And I'm like, that. then that's 1973. Because he, he's born the same year as my parents. So I know the age. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm like, 73 yeah. is when they moved from Chicago to North Carolina. This is, this is like a full decade before this movie <laughs> right. came out. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. But it does star uh, Edward Farhat. Farhat was born in Lansing, Michigan, to a Lebanese family. Mm-hmm. And after fighting in World War II, he started wrestling in 1947, actually starting mm. under his own name, but began adopting the moniker of the Sheik. And we should stress now, not the Iron Sheik, but the Sheik. No. Yeah, obviously the Iron Sheik stole a good portion of his gimmick from, uh, from the, the Noble him, Sheik. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and uh, but he starts adopting this name after a couple of years. And one of his signature moves is the camel clutch, which uh-huh. uh, and he also used hidden pencils. Again, this is not stuff that's in. It happens in the movie. It's not explained in the movie. He used no. pencils, hidden pencils and other foreign objects to cut open his opponent's faces. That's why they're bleeding. You see him yes. has something in his hand. You just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He also used a, a fireball move, which was performed through the use of a lighter, like a lighter soaked pieces of paper, and then which he lit with yeah. like a cigarette lighter hidden in his trunks. And we'd use Magi- a fireball move. Magician, magician's flash paper is traditionally used for fireballs. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, another move, he also just apparently liked to, which again, not in the movie. The fireball move is not in the movie. He, but what is in the movie is that he would bite people's foreheads. So that's yeah. a move that's often in the, in the movie. It's his first big move. Yes. Is, is that a is that a chic move? Like, where, um, I mean, I I don't know if the chic originated the uh, the heel. You know, there's baby faces and heels, good guys and bad guys, and pro wrestling uh, canon. I don't know if he originated the biting the forehead move, but I'm sure he probably popularized it because you later on in the movie, you see uh, Abdullah the Butcher uh, who uh, consistently bit people. The biting people in the forehead is uh, ironically having somewhat of a uh, resurgence in pro wrestling and uh, specifically in AEW, which is on TBS and TNT on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturday nights now. And John Moxley, who is 
I will get to this uh, in a minute when we talk about the movie <laughs> because that promotion is uh, the the NWA the the Detroit that area of the world, uh, which is the uh, National territory. Wrestling Alliance. Just so people National don't, Wrestling Alliance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's not just president? thinking, wow, I who's, the, wrestling used to have like also great bands there. <laughs> yes, the, the yes. Ter- yeah the territory <laughs> that territory that the Sheik ran for twenty years when he was on top played very fast and loose with what we call tweeners of like, not quite a good guy, not quite a bad guy. It might change from week to mm. week. Uh, John, mm. John Moxley is like uh, a big star in AEW. Now he used to be in WWE as Dean Ambrose. And he's sort of a tweener guy. Like he's a, he's a tough guy. Can't be a bad guy. Can't be a good guy from week to week. And he consistently in all of his matches does the, uh, the, the noble chic bite the forehead move. So, wow. Wow, that's full uh, full circle. Old tropes, just amazing. Like they come back around. <laughs> yeah, I I think my favorite part about the Sheik is like he's just a gray haired middle aged man. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, I'm not the biggest wrestling fan, but I can get behind just like middle aged dudes just like biting dudes' forehead and going off. Like oh, I can kind of, I can that. handle that. Well, then I uh, highly recommend you check out the. AWA, which was uh, Vern Gagne's uh, territory for a long, long time. Uh, a lot of the guys that became famous in WWF in the 80s actually got started. Hulk Hogan got started there. The Red Warriors, right. Bobby Heenan, right. a bunch of those guys. And Vern Gagne is a guy that has looked like he is 55 years old for 40 years. And he was he was the top. He, he booked himself as the top champion for like 20 years straight. Wow. <laughs> so... You're wow. just looking at someone's dad beating up all comers at all time. You're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, Hulk Hogan, like there was a Donald G. Jackson spoke in this interview. I was talking about uh, the trash times in 2003. It's shortly before he passed away. And he talked about why it doesn't have Hulk Hogan in the movie. He said Hulk Hogan was and is a superstar wrestler and you just couldn't touch him. He was under very strict contracts. Every time he was photographed or filmed, those images had to be approved by his manager and the wrestling federation. What I loved about the Sheik is that though he was a well-known wrestler, he was his own man. I went up to him at a match one day, told him what I wanted to do, and he was the nicest guy. He gave me full access. He also introduced me to many of the other wrestlers, which allowed uh, me to film them as well. I, I like knowing that Hulk Hogan's contracts are as locked in as ours for this podcast. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Right. He was like, oh, I'm eventually going to be able to not have to do this. Right. And they were like, uh, I don't know. You're this. I feel this you. Hulk. I feel you. Your contract. I, feel you. So. I also love the idea that like in public, he's like, hey, brother. But behind the scenes, he's like, well, now, hold up. <laughs> Easy, buddy. Hey, 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 slow down, partner. We've got a contract right. in place. Like, Can we all take a deep breath? Is that all right? Can we just take a yeah. deep breath, everyone? Thank it's you. His readers. He's like, let's just let's just review the contract. I just want to review this, if you don't mind. Can we put on some soothing music? I'm yeah. Hulk Hogan. He's... Uh, for all of his flaws, and they are many. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, in in a world of, I mean, in professional wrestling, you much like boxing, it's you. It's a world of liars, and in a sea of liars, <laughs> yeah, that guy was right. the white. That guy was the lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> right. One of the main. Re- he is a very savvy businessman, and one of one sure. of the reasons why he. Uh, went to the WWF and didn't stay with the IWA is because Vern Gagne, he was the champion there. Vern Gagne put him over. 
uh, a guy who was more sizzled than steak uh, back then. You had to be like a really good amateur wrestler. That's what everyone thought the aesthetic was. And uh, Vern Gagne wanted to have like half of all of Hulk Hogan's like merchandise sales. And he was like, I don't, that's not going to work for me, brother. I can't just. <laughs> Yeah, 50%, yeah. 50% of every 50%. t-shirt sold, <laughs> yeah. I'm out. Yeah. And especially the way people will just, you know you buy a Hulk shirt and you just want to tear it in half and then you have to go buy another one. <laughs> I mean, smart, smart business. What smart, a great gift, right? Smart. The thing about this movie is that I have to, I'm curious how it is for you through your eyes because it's a slightly cumbersome narrative, let's say, <laughs> this movie because it's, <sighs> Because narratively speaking, uh, there's not a lot of touchstones. It's difficult to know where you are in the movie. Um, yeah, it's, I found I mean, it. You keep easier. using that word narrative, and I'm having a hard time. I'm not following. Right. I'm not you're tracking like, Wait, right where now. Where in the movie was a narrative? I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. Again, it's, the 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 it's uh, difficult. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, the the STS stuff is like a subplot, if at all. You know, like that's not a plot line. That's a subplot throughout but the sheik a big part yes. of it and his family a big part of it at the very least mm-hmm. it was only through subsequent viewings that i realized his son is also featured in the movie yes but again that yeah. also required me looking things up on the internet which i could not have done in 1985 so the benefit of all these years later i was able to kind of you know and his wife's in the movie and she has mm-hmm. she's one of the few people that's given a chiron but yes, you're like, I don't know who that person is or that name. Yeah, so there's no job titles. It's yeah, just name. It's just and a name. You're waiting for the, you're waiting you're for like, the job title underneath and it never mm-hmm. comes. Mm-hmm. How are they related to any of this? Yeah. Nothing. Okay, yeah. I guess I know this person's yeah. name now, but mm-hmm. I don't know what this is in relation to or how this relates to anybody. So it's interesting. So through your eyes, you'd already seen this. Was this yes. like a movie that like wrestling fans know a whole lot about oh for sure because you have to remember too in those in those years even till this day wrestling is still sort of a niche uh redheaded stepchild sort of art form more people are into it now especially because there's so many people that grew up on wrestling and so that they're fans of it they sort of appreciate the art form uh what you have to remember is that this movie because of the the constraints of kayfabe which is basically for anyone listening kayfabe is the way that wrestling presents things on television and in live performances as if they are real with sort of the uh, sort of the agreement that anyone inside the business keeps that uh, keeps the fact that it's a work <clears throat> that it's uh, fake that it's uh, that it's not fake that it's predetermined is the preferred term mm-hmm. um, yes, yes away yes. from the audience and now kayfabe now similar it just means sort of uh similar to the suspension of disbelief that the audience knows that the things are predetermined and that punches are pulled and all that but you give yourself over to it in the same way that when people say now um first of all if it's 2023 and you're like you know wrestling's fake right it's like yeah where have you been um, but when people say that, <laughs> right, right. But when, when when people say that now, usually the response is like, "Yeah, and I know Tom Cruise is an Ethan Hunt, and so do you." Like, who gives a shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in, but in, in 1985, though, kayfabe is still uh, very, very hardcore, very traditional. It is it's protected? Very the business is protected, and the secrets of the business are protected. So what you're right. actually watching is five movies in one. One of them is a kayfabe. All right, we're we're showing this documentary. We're trying to get butts in seats. We're trying to put uh put over 
telling the story of the Sheik. Also why it's hard to tell when things are happening because the Sheik was on top for like 15 years. So at one point you see him fighting Abdullah the Butcher and then like 12 minutes later in the movie, he's paired up with Abdullah the Butcher, which you would only be able to recognize of like, oh, right, in the classic storytelling sense, here comes this monster that has been brought in by a manager to take down the Sheik and then they fight. The Sheik wins, but he's uh, he is so impressed by the violence uh, that Abdullah the Butcher is that he sees a kindred spirit, and then they team up to take on the baby faces that have come to town, which are the right. Funk Brothers. So that's that. Also, it's a movie that uh, is trying to sort of glom on to the because the wrestling is a follow the leader type of business. It's taking things from popular culture and then putting their own spin on it. So you also have things like One More Saturday Night FM. American Graffiti, those those you know those kind of movies. So that's mm-hmm. where you get the storylines. That's why right, you get a right. an extended improvised scene of two guys going, "Is he coming? Is he not coming?" Like, <laughs> so they're trying to do like <laughs> exploitation type movies. Right. And then on top right, of that, you right. also have a traditional documentary. They've obviously Frankenstein this together from a but. There's an actual. What I have to imagine was like a local PBS affiliate where the woman who comes on, who's very serious, clearly a journalist, the one that introduced yeah. has that long interview with Heather Feather at the end. I'm like, mm-hmm. so it's an actual documentary going on. Also, there's a little bit of a behind the scenes, how did this get made style documentary where you see them putting together the ring and all that. And then you have a, a, yeah. a fifth one where it's just everyone involved is just trying to get over and then like by the way you can tell because the way that the movie ends is just one long commercial for the next big thing the next the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, right. the yeah. next big yeah. event like we're going to do it on right. top of the building and expecting to get you know butts and seat cuz especially back then television wasn't what it is now it's almost reversed now now the television deals are so huge that the money is in television and the and the live events the pay-per-views are sort of secondary nature where back then television was just about getting people to go to the live shows when it comes to your town, the house shows, and also the big monthly or quarterly uh, big pay-per-view events that they would make uh, where they'd they'd be in the bigger uh, arenas, whether it's the Mid-South or the the Kobo Arena or whatever it is, and also trying to get people to like buy it on the uh, very, very early nascent uh, thing of cable pay cable and and pay-per-views they don't the wwe because of their network mm-hmm. and they they sold it to to peacock they don't they don't call them pay-per-views anymore they call them ple's do you want to guess what ple's stand for don't worry you'll never get it it stands for I, I, premium, no live premium live oh, events oh yes okay well that makes a lot yes. of sense because they can't yeah, call that's what it is now it doesn't matter yeah, it's right. Like, right. It's like calling a it's like calling a CD vinyl. It's like it's still the album, but it's not vinyl. It's a compact. <laughs> right. Disc, so have to get right. Right. So that's what. Yeah. So long story short, it's five different movies at once. Is why you it's impossible for you to follow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it is. But I have to say too that I think this is something where New World and, and Tony Randall that we talked about who who gets the very first uh, credit at the end credits as the executive in charge. He he was a big fan of of wrestling and wrestling was really 1985. We are into the thick of the WWF. Yes, and I mean you, Saturday morning. I was still I would watch wrestling. There's wrestling cartoons. Mm-hmm. We have toys. Like it was. It's yeah. starting to go bananas. But this is all stuff coming from the 70s. So it doesn't quite have the audience that back then though. No. Right? It's not when they're when they're filming these guys. This like the arena where they actually shoot Andre the Giant. 
is so small. The one, not the thick, not the cage match, not the one where they're like ten sure, guys sure. and he needs to knock them all out of the cage. It's the one where he just actually wrestles one guy. That just mm-hmm. looks that's like, in a studio. That's a television studio. That's not an arena. Oh, okay, yeah. Studios. I mean, because it yeah. is. Yeah, that's the regular studio wrestling uh, television shows of that. That's the stuff that I was watching uh, okay. during okay. Saturday afternoons. You have to remember that the, the big explosion, like WrestleMania 1 and the whole like uh, rock and wrestling with Hulk Hogan and Cyndi Lauper yep. thing on MTV, yep. that was 83. Mm. So in 85, yeah. So this is all old footage, but they're making this film and New, New World Pictures probably bought it. And released it in '85 because it was Hulk Hogan was at the height of his power. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, Hulk Hogan was body slamming Andre the Giant, which had never been done before, but it had totally been done so many times. But it, you actually <laughs> think that in the in the '60s and the '70s, when you talk about the amount of money that was being made, the type of gate that was being made, live gate, uh, yeah, it was huge. It just wasn't on television mm. the way that it, it was, was on TV. Right? Vince, okay. Yeah, until Vincent Kennedy McMahon bought out his dad uh and took over the what was then the wwf and the what was the new york territory the nwa that's when vince started to go nationwide and put it on television and a lot of those guys were like you're ruining the business because you're giving stuff away for free which is we just do the shitty studio wrestling to get them excited to actually see the real good matches the real okay oh interesting yeah yeah Yeah. okay that's what's known as squash matches where it's like Andre the Giant beats up this uh what is known as a jobber, a guy who is just there to do the job of getting pinned. And then so everyone <laughs> yeah. goes, Yeah. You're at home going like God, he killed that guy in like forty seconds. Right. And he's then it's like go go town. see it live and he's gotta Woo! kick ten yeah. guys out of the mm-hmm. arena. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I would definitely okay. be a jobber. I would I guarantee <laughs> would be a jobber. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's one of the great parts that I Well, you, you didn't have to Brian you, Brian, you didn't have to agree that quickly. But I mean, thank <laughs> yeah. you. I, I, yeah. Well, what what are the reasons one of the reasons <laughs> One of the reasons why you saw, like, um, Andre the Giant was a big, like, draw as, like, a special attraction, so he would just go to territory to territory, and they would have him do those big battle royals where he would throw everybody out of the ring, and everyone's like, yay, I'm the biggest and strongest and toughest, because you couldn't give him the belt. You couldn't give him the championship, because then who would ever, when would he ever lose? So that was the way the promoters got around. Oh, okay. Okay. Here's this greatest and huge, strong guy, and here he is kicking 20 people and now you don't have time to ask yourself of like, well, why is he just not beating this old man who has <laughs> right, right? Is that me? Is that me? What you're, is it, was that me? Is that me? Just well, well, I want to be clear, my role. <laughs> well, well. To get back to the fact that this is old man sport, literally they're they let in those ten guys into the cage, and they just get they start old and get progressively older as more guys <laughs> yeah. get to the to the ring. I was like, yeah. all right, <laughs> lots of old guys, but like that's primarily this that's early on in the movie because they they put Andre up front. They want to put him in the sure. front. Because you're you're trying to oh you have to you, you got Andre for that day you want to make sure you uh, pay off on that. Plus, a lot of movies don't spend time exploring what it means to wait for someone 
to come and meet you somewhere. Like movies cut very quickly to, hey, we drove somewhere right. and now we're meeting. The actual but they don't meeting. like like it like the actual meeting requires time. People are late and you're gonna have oh. to wait and you're right. gonna have to have yep. small talk. And this yep. movie really dove deep into like what does it mean to wait for someone to show up that's late? He'll be here in a minute. Man. That's all we wait for. I hope he shows up. He yeah. show. Since you really believe that. I know him personally, man. Sure you do. Look at your watch. I have a theory. If you're interested, yeah, because please. I, yeah, because when I first when I uh, when I was first getting ready to watch it, of course, the first thing you do is you go, okay, how long is the movie so I have enough time? And I was like, oh, interesting. I think maybe the reason why it was is that 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 particular section went on very long, and then some things were also like, do we really need to see all twenty guys introduced one after another before we get to Andre? I think that's because, um, and this is, you know, the, the film director in me, uh, knowledge comes out, especially now, but especially back then, I think you had to reach a certain length to be considered to be a feature film. And then right, therefore right. that would affect right. how many markets you could sell it to, especially when you're talking about back then, figs was very important, France, Italy, Germany, and Spain. So you have to have a 79 minute movie because certain territories especially in Europe or Romanian television or all the different places you could sell it, literally would not consider it a feature film and wouldn't take anything that wasn't at least that. So okay. I know even mm-hmm. for a fact that like, like my first movie uh, it's not really like stretched out, but I barely, I had to use a lot of the footage that I had and thankfully it all worked. It still felt tight, but like I barely made it to 74 minutes and that's what was considered a feature film in like 2006, 2007. Otherwise, it'd be impossible to, to sell it in, in any territory. So I think that's why, as you watch mm. those two guys just like literally repeat themselves, it's like, yeah, we got to get to seventy nine <laughs> minutes, man. Yeah, with yeah. credits. Yeah, the <laughs> the sections too for the stop the chic stuff is feels very padded, like so, yeah. like we're. They, in, they intimate that he was killed by the sheik. The sheik's bullet. He's disappeared. They pull him to the room, and then later on, when the sheik and Farouk are traveling in the limo throughout town, there's the stop the uh, sheik guys, and he's back again. It's like right. So you yeah. had to use that footage, or otherwise you're just undoing your narrative for no reason. <laughs> right. They just had Dis- to. They like we have all. We got to use yeah. it all. We have to use every bit that we shot. But get into some of the other characters while we can, because you were talking about Jesse yes. Rhodes. Clearly, that was a big guy for you. And I, oh, this is yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not extremely familiar with him. Oh, buddy, going all over the country traveling. My daddy was a plumber for forty years. He raised the American dream. This country is in need of a hero. You understand? Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, they dead, baby. You understand? They dead. Now there's one man, the plumber's son. 28 years old, the greatest sports attraction in the world, Bonner! And see what went on here. To see what went on here in the great sport. Turns my stomach, baby. You know, I wind and dine with kings and queens. But I slept in alley and dine on pork and beans, too, baby. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there is so many ideas thrown out in that, like, 25 second clip or something yeah i mean the, the, it's the first early being that, he's early in his career he's early in his career he has but not just 28 let's be clear again but not, not 28 to, not to go, but not 28 not not 
He's twenty. He's twenty eight in that for sure. Because as I look at him, I've watched Dusty Rhodes my oh, entire life. Oh, you think? Life. Oh, okay. That's, you think? You watch that, and then you go and watch the uh, hard times. It's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of uh, pro wrestling promos when he cut in Jim Crockett promotions, where he's leading up to the big pay per view event, uh, the Great American Match, the Gathering, where he's going up against Ric Flair for the world for the NWA's World's uh, Heavyweight Championship. You can see that he is an older man in that, that he's more heavier set. He is a young man in this. He just doesn't look like it because he's one of those guys that looks like he was 33 when he came out of the womb. He's definitely 28. <laughs> that. And also, you, he, you, can tell yeah. the, you can tell because that is an early rough draft of him just starting to figure out that character. Uh, the right, thing is that right. uh, it's where he's like, I'm a plumber's son. And then, you know, my dad worked for 40 years. He's like, and then later on, it's just like a, where he's starting to really get a hold of, of the character. He's like a son of a plumber is what it was all. Daddy Joe uh, and all that kind of stuff where the patterns, but, but it's the early stuff is there. And you can see it. And also like, if you go back and watch him like wrestling for WWE or excuse me, it was WWF at the time. In 1978, when he's going up a, a superstar, Billy Graham, he's being Vince McMahon, uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon is still just uh, working for his dad as like an interviewer uh, that you can right, see that like, right. he's absolutely 28 years old. That he's a he's he's like watching a sketch comedian early on where it's like and then finding and then, like, the character, later, working it out in real time. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. eight years later, he's on SNL doing that character, and it's like the church lady. You're like, oh, right. shit, he <laughs> did it, yeah. So all the stuff is there. There's so much stuff in this that's just chock full of yeah. lots of ideas. They're all coming from a similar place. I feel like the fact that that Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth are dead is in the middle of the speech. It's like we're working out yeah. how to get to those, build to those big high points. That seems like a yeah. closer. But it's like a middle point for this speech. It's so, yeah, if you, it's if you like, watch, wow, yeah. this is fascinating. If you watch Hard Times, you'll see where he's perfected it. Where this one, he's like, Joe, Joe DiMaggio and, and Babe Ruth, a <laughs> dead baby. It's him sort of figuring, you kind of know where he's coming from. But then in Hard mm-hmm. Times, he's like, I don't look the way a professional wrestler is supposed to look. I'm not pretty. Hard Times is Hard Times on Dusty Rhodes. Hard Times is where they, uh, you work at a job at a factory for 25 years. They give you a gold watch and they kick you out of your ass. And they say, a computer took your job, daddy. That's Hard Times. You're like, oh, right. Because yeah, there's no that's heroes refined. left in America. That's refined. He's like, there's only two people in the world. And one of them is John Wayne. And the other one's that big man upstairs. That's the refined version of Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth are dead, Daddy. Yes, that. yeah. But I liked, I, I appreciated that he was willing to put himself in the same pantheon as Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth. I Got mean, to. to go out of the <laughs> gate to be like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I love just America needs a new hero, and he's just like, obviously, he's the guy. Me. Obviously, he's he's talking American about. Dream. And I was like, I mean, he's not wrong. People love heroes. No. We can always use heroes. It's just. Just the way he's going about it just seems really rough, <laughs> a little rough, yeah. a little rough around the edges there. He's always been smart about that. He's always put himself where you're, you're, you're he's forcing the audience to compare them with people that are uh, larger in life characters, but also like wildly respected. So like a couple of years later, he goes to Florida and he's a bad guy and he teams up uh, with uh, a, a, a Japanese character. He's he's turned his back on America. He's betrayed America. Oh, no. And then they turn on him. And then he cuts his promo. It's a video promo. It's one of my favorite ones of all time. It's him in a studio. It's just a black backdrop. And he is dressed up like Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. <laughs> but he has... Oh, it's beautiful. He's doing the Colonel Kurtz like... They're just... The horror. You're a... 
Yeah. He's right. doing that. You're but a he's boy. in the but he's in the black face paint and the headband that a Martin Sheen is wearing. He's like, Kabuke! You have turned your back on America and the American dream. Like you're like, oh right, he's wow. He has wow. to be. Yeah. Oh, Look that's unreal. That's <laughs> wow. unreal. Yeah, that's unreal. It's one of my favorites. He he pops up and that speech happens and you start going, okay, this is going to be about, mm-hmm. I, I've watched enough wrestling. This is going to be about him and the Sheik and their constant battle. And this makes sense. No, yeah. no, that we get, we get to that. We nope. kind of get through that yeah. pretty quick. And nope. instead we drop in lots of other subplots. We talk about those subplots. So let's just get through a couple of them. One of them we've already mentioned, Please. Sonya Friedman. Dr. Dr. Sonya Friedman is there, I guess, studying wrestling. I don't know. She's actually, that's her real name. She was, she went on to be a best-selling author and she had a show on CNN in the late eighties called Sonya live. Um, and so do we know what she's a doctor of. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> just, I fingers crossed it's wrestling. I don't, <laughs> I, I want someone to get a PhD in wrestling studies. I mean, that's, I want that for the world. Uh, okay. John Cena John Cena is famously the doctor of thugonomics so it could oh, be that okay. study okay. Oh. Oh. Right. okay I yeah. thought you were you put your, your hand up to your chin I thought you were going to start to be like I remember when I saw my first <laughs> wrestling match <laughs> what a contest um, <laughs> a struggle <laughs> There's a, a, gr- a, a, a room full of students furiously scribbling everything <laughs> down. Like, oh, this is amazing <laughs> stuff. I, I cannot wait to get this degree yeah. in wrestling studies I, and see where my career goes. I knew I shouldn't have taken AP wrestling. This is going to be so hard. <laughs> this teacher knows their shit. Yeah. I am screwed. Like Wrestling is just filled with old... <laughs> Carnies, every guy is Don King. So the whole reason that mm-hmm. Dusty Rhodes, it's probably in there is because they have the footage to him, and at the time he's a big name star. They're like, put him in the yeah. movie so we yeah. can say yeah. that he's in the movie. Yeah, and so yeah. or the subplots. I'm I'm also convinced that Dr. Sonia there probably just did like a local PBS. It was a probably a small yeah. thirteen yeah. to twenty two minute documentary that they made, and they're like can we have the rights to use that footage? And they're like, yeah, we don't give a shit. Just here you go. License it to you. Then the local, the Detroit PBS uh, station gets, gets a little bit of money. And they're like, all right, how we, it's very, I mean, you guys have been watching new world pictures. It's very Roger Corman. It's very like, yeah, 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 for sure. We got some of this footage we can reuse. Mm -hmm. Give me 20 minutes of new material where uh, he's playing a vampire. Boom. New movie. Right? Well, Donald yeah. G. Jackson is such that. a he's such an interesting dude because he he really does seem to come from that Corman school, though he I don't think he really he didn't work very long for Corman. He's a guy who's literally like, let's go out to the desert and make a movie, guys. And we'll just make it, we'll shoot it yeah. for nothing. I mean, the rollerblade is a movie we'll get to, but that's another one that was released by New World Video that he shoots for like five thousand dollars. A bunch oh, of people wow. with no money. Wow. I wouldn't even doubt if Dr. Sonia Friedman was there to do a story. To your point, Brian. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, could we use you to do a couple things while you're here? Because they were oh, literally just, fi- just shooting yeah. to shoot. They were figuring things out 100% on the fly. That's another thing that pro wrestling uh, in general, but also pro wrestling promoters do a ton. Anything and anyone they can use to legitimize themselves, absolutely. 
I mean, yeah. Dr. Dr. D was famous for hitting, slapping John Stossel uh, when uh, 2020 came there to do an interview and all that. But the reason why they said yes to it is they say yes to anything that makes it look like they can be more mainstream and to legitimize them uh, and not make them the uh, traveling circus of carny folk that they, uh, that they, <laughs> that what they their really origins are. are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, for sure. But that so Dr. Sonia is, is a, is a si- subplot, sort of. She's sprinkled throughout. She kind of comes to her thesis well before the movie's over. But or, I mean, you have to assume it's her final thesis because she never comes back. But then we also have like just the the general theme of I like to hurt people as the as the name implies, where people sort sure. of talk about why they like wrestling. And then yeah. we get into Heather Feather and her story. Oh. <laughs> Wanting to Beautiful. fight, wrestle uh, a man, and they had to made her wrestle a bear, which I listened to an interview mm-hmm. from Brian Greenberg. He's essentially one of the camera people on this and one of the associate producers and, and as credited as the DP on this. And he said that they they were shooting on the weekends and trying to shoot all these matches uh, of wrestling. And then they found out that she apparently there was a match where Heather Feather uh, fought a bear. Now, whether yeah. or not this is a real bear or not, I don't know. I don't know. No, it's that, a real bear. They were. It's a real bear. Okay, but they did. No one told them that this was going to happen, so they didn't shoot it. That's why they don't show it in the movie because they weren't told that it was going to happen. So they were like, "We just got to be. We have to be there all the time and just keep our head. You know, all right, we just have to keep Guys, listening to see to, what's happening. You have to tell the filmmakers that there's going to be a match with a woman right. and a bear. You know, like that didn't come up. No one mentioned like, hey kind of crazy that girl's gonna like fight a bear right like no one brought it up in casual conversation which is which is crazy because number one it's like hey don't you like making money that's the whole point of us doing this in pro wrestling right also it's a it's it's pretty standard having wrestlers uh wrestle bears they were specially trained bears again it's a circus mentality it's a background it's an origin they always had the same thing the bears would be um maybe not declawed but definitely they had been shaved down teeth had been removed uh roddy piper told me a story to my face about when he was 19 years old he had to wrestle a bear and they were like backstage they're like all right it's a good thing this is what you're going to do to go to the bears train it knows how if you do this it's going to do that um just don't do this the bear hates that but if it if it gets you know don't worry he's like what is it bites me he's like no nah, it's got look it's got no teeth in it right they would hold it on that but the guy so he's 19 years old he's about to go out and wrestle this bear he's like he's been told by everybody like it happens all the time and other guys are like yeah i wrote a, i fought a bear here and there and he's like so he knows it's real but still it's like oh, this is a bear what does bear decide and the guy behind him right. is hyping him up going you're gonna be good man he's like rubbing his shoulders and patting his back and giving the old pats on the ass like you got this man he's like oh god this guy's really hyping me up and it's really oh good he doesn't realize until he gets to the ring that this guy has just been smearing honey all over him oh as he's hyping no him up. <laughs> and he says he gets into the ring and it's going well. They're going through the moves as they predetermined. He's gone through the whole thing with the handlers. All right, I'm, oh, it's happening. Go there. And the bear just f- decides like, oh, oh, honey. And he goes, the bear flips me over and starts like going after me. And like the bear has clawed his underwear, down, his trunks and his underwear and his jock strap down. He goes, the next thing I know, I have a nine inch long bear tongue up my asshole. And I realized, oh, oh that's right. That, that guy had put his hand down my pants at one point and smeared honey all in there. And I just said, fuck it. I got out of the ring. And I was like, I'm losing the bear tonight. And I, you know, I was like, I don't care if the promoter uh, 
fires me for losing to the bear when I was supposed to go over and win. And he gets back to the back and everyone, no one gives a shit about him losing. Everyone is howling. And yeah. it doubled over in laughter. It's like, welcome to the business. Do you know yeah. what people would spend today for a bear rim job? <laughs> a, a, a pretty penny. Pretty penny. It's a pretty penny. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I haven't run the numbers on this one yet, but you got to run it. You got to run these numbers. Yeah, Mark. this is your job. Yeah, you I'm just with inflation. That. It's uh, that's that's in serious money. Yeah. Serious cash. I love that you're going to start running the '80s numbers on yeah. bare rib jobs and then work your way up with cost of living increases. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with Heather Feather. I don't think I remembered it from when I first watched this back in the 90s. Okay. So I, I wasn't familiar with Heather Feather at all. And uh-huh. I was just engaged with her. I wanted a whole movie just about her. Like how yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. 23 and like the, the interviews oh, yeah. with Sonia where like she's just dropping wisdom after wisdom. of like. Oh, my God. How long do you think you can last in this career? A girl can only last as long as she looks young. As soon as she starts looking old, she's done for. Well, that's very true in the rest of society, too, isn't it? It sure is. A man can go, he could do this until he dropped, until he died in the ring. Yeah, like the chic, like the movie you're in. She was like, mm-hmm. you know, yes. Dr. Sony was like, yes. she was like, that's true. She's so self-aware to that. I have a, I have a Mount Rush, because uh, I used to write for a web, wrestling website, and I used to work with a lot of really smart female wrestling uh, journalists that I really looked up to. Uh, like uh, like Latoya Ferguson and, and, and Danielle uh, Weeks and all these people. And so I was like, oh, we had a conversation once in Slack of like, who's the Mount Rushmore of intergender wrestling? Women that have wrestled men. And the top is China from WWE, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, ninth wonder of the world. Uh, Lou Fisto, who is an indie wrestler for 20 years, but she won the Ring of Honor championship of like in the mid 2000s, which was a big deal to have a woman be the, the, the main champion. Okay. Uh, the world champion of a, a this super indie, the biggest indie at the time. Then you have Candice LeRae, that her uh, and now a disgraced wrestler. They they were intergender. They went up against people. She won a famous match uh, right here in Los Angeles at Pro Wrestling Guerrilla PWJ, where she went one uh, a handicap match where she beat the Young Bucks by herself to win the tag team championships. And then there's uh, there's Princess Kimberly who won the uh, the Grand Championship. Uh, I, don't think I'm saying it right in Jakara, which is the big indie that was in Philadelphia. And just like, there was a couple other people. I was like, ah, but just her doing that, what it meant at the time. But I'm like, man, learning about Heather feather. I was like, I wish if she had like just five more years of a career, I think she'd be right on that. Like she beats that guy. Obviously mm-hmm. it's yeah. some, some guy that they put under a mask. So the guy didn't have to like spend the rest of his career being known as the guy that lost right. to a woman, but yeah. still like, it's what a, what a delight. What a, what a diamond in the rough. I wish there was more about her. Yeah, yeah really do. I agree. I agree. So we, we get we get that story too. And then one of the late game entries, Ox Baker. I came here to Detroit. I beat the unbeatable. The Sheik went down with a broken arm and the fantastic Ox Baker got his hand raised. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've seen him a thousand times now on Escape from New York. So to see him actually, because I, I, we, we, we found out at some point, Mark, right, that, that he was a wrestler. So we knew he was like, look at him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my God, what else could he do? He's a librarian. He actually runs. <laughs> he runs the neighborhood library, like you know, <laughs> big, in, um, big into animal rescue. Big into animal yeah, rescue. Yeah, he, loves he is though. He is. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's legit. That's a legit fact. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a bunch about Ox Baker because I had an assignment where I had to write about him being. Because uh, what I did when I was writing for Uproxx is because they did a lot of like 
ripped from the headlines and that kind of stuff. And I was, I was more of like the deep dive guy. So I just went out ahead and found a bunch of stuff that was like, here's the 25th anniversary of this or the 30 year anniversary of this. And I found the one where he was on the prices, right? Which he loved the prices, right? And since he and Bob Barker were both big into animal rescues and spaying, neutering dogs, and he was like, that's my guy. And he's low key right. funny when he goes on. He's just like, "Oh, you're a big guy." He's like, "Yeah, we're the we're the two uh, we're the two most handsome guys on television right now." Like he's very <laughs> funny and smart. <laughs> and so that's that's where I got to do a lot of my research into him and just like what a nice guy he was. But it's also funny because we're talking about the NWA, the, the Detroit territory that the Sheik ran. There's old if you go back to that article I sent you, uh, Ryan. There's footage, yeah, black and white footage of him being in Detroit. Lots of times wrestlers talk about like, oh, we were in such and such town and, and uh, we beat up the baby face and we like we could barely get out there. But there are stories of those guys getting stabbed and shot at. Lots of those Ooh. guys had to like keep their keep their car running as they're wrestling so they can go oh right out God. the back door, get their car wow. and drive away so they don't get killed. But that footage of, of Ox Baker beating a guy down start the, the riot that happens, that's the that's one of the few times I've seen footage of like Oh no, you guys are in danger for your life. Oh, really? You can see one of the guys who obviously works for the promotion. He's in a suit. He's probably a guy that does double duty backstage and also maybe does like a little ring announcing here and there. Mm-hmm. You can see him get up on the ring and start demonstrably waving, like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And then, like, two seconds later, the first of many steel chairs just comes flying. People oh. are like picking it up and throwing it. I was like, oh, wow, interesting. Yeah, that's. And I was like, oh, and that was Detroit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's the real stuff. That's yeah, that's the interesting. Bloodthirsty crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, I got a question for you, brothers. I think it's time to talk about things we loved and things we hated. <laughs> Thanks, Holster. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the things we loved and the things we hated about. I like to hurt people. Mark, let's start with you. What is, what's something that you loved? Okay, something that uh, I loved. What I loved is, we already brought this up, and that is when they interview wrestlers and they interview people behind the scenes, don't display what their role is in wrestling. They just display Uh their name, which we've already covered. Right, Uh, right. and And it becomes readily apparent very quickly that this movie is for real wrestling fans. They're assuming... Mm-hmm. We're going to yes. give you. We're, we'll Others say of us, the, we're lost right. almost constantly. Right. <laughs> we're going to give you the name, uh, but you already know the name. And we're not going to give you the title and what they do because you right. know that already. Because right. this movie is for real fans. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I yes. loved that because it's unapologetically for real fans. Mm. Yeah. You, you mentioned the Funk Brothers, Brian. They don't mention their name. You you hear the mm-hmm. Funk Brothers in passing, or Terry Funk, you quickly hear an announcer quickly racing through that name. If you don't know that, that is all lost mm-hmm. on you. Again, I had to watch this a couple times and then look things up online and go, okay, mm-hmm. now some of these things are sort of tying together. But you don't know that by watching it. Yeah. But you're like Mark's saying, this is, this is for real fans. Brian, uh, what is something that you love from this movie? Can you even distill it down from a long laundry list here? Well, uh, yes, of course. There's many things that I, uh, there's a big thing that I hate that will sort of be all encompassing, but the thing that I loved uh, more than anything. Save it, brother. Start with the love. (laughs) That's where I'm starting. 
I'm, you got it, you got it, brother. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Yeah. I feel like uh, I don't sound very much like Hulk. <laughs> it's pretty good. Hulk, it's pretty good. Hulk Hogan doesn't sound like Hulk anymore, right? Uh, <laughs> you will be receiving a cease and desist later. A letter, yeah, I know, later right? Though, by from the it, very so. beginning, from doing the. <laughs> Let's get ready. It's going to be yeah, like, that's right. take this down. Yeah. The thing I love uh, of all the stuff in there is early on, right before that uh, Dusty Rhodes uh, promo that he cuts in, in studio after he attacks the Sheik, right before that is a um, uh, a very bad uh, filmed, what is known as a pre-tape you know, backstage promo where it's uh, cut together, uh, shot and cut together ahead of time, where he grabs someone, again, Mark, that you don't know who that person is, but apparently it's someone that's uh works with the sheik and he's uh threatening uh the American dream has come through a door and is threatening that guy up against yes, uh, yes. some red velvet steps. Oh, right. mm-hmm. And I think my mm-hmm. favorite, oh, that's, and, right. that's right. And at one point, for no reason whatsoever, and certainly not earned cinematically, where it's a point of view shot of the American dream. They do that later with uh Andre the Giant too, where he's looking down at uh one of the two young African American mm-hmm. men that uh, uh approached his jeep but in the background you can see the young uh the young blonde white lady in the blue t-shirt who is a a cameraman she's either doing that because she feels like oh shit i'm in the shot or she's been uh roped into playing a background talent actor where you just see her kind of go across the wall like oh geez oh gosh i don't want to be part of this thing (laughs) and she 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 opens with her back to the wall she opens the door and sort of slides out like oh Oh boy, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> oh, don't involve me with your arguments. Uh, that, that was early. And early, I fell in love with that. And then I didn't see anything beyond that that topped it. So I was like, that is the yeah. thing I love the most. Yeah. In the movie. No, that, that is really Fantastic good. Fantastic yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> Erica, what is something you loved? I love the music. I yes. thought that music was really fun. Yeah. It hooks you. It's yeah. like fun. been it's Run. been in my head ever since we watched it. Like I just found like earlier today I was like working on something in my brain. <laughs> or you know, in my head I'm like, I like to hurt people. Yeah. I like a good I'm soundtrack like, where none of the songs have any subtext. The subtext is the text. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Just, yep. It, it is what it is. What it is. Yeah. I, I like it. There's I'm, no question. I'm with you as well. The songs are mostly by Sam Mann and they were produced for the most part by Donald G. Jackson. Uh, I like to hurt people. The main song, clearly a 2023 worldy nominee to to come in December as we wrap up the year. But let's hear a little bit of this song that will now live in your brains probably (laughs) for, for the next couple weeks. I mean, they also play this song, and this is not an exaggeration, 6,000 times during the song, yeah. uh, during the, mo- yeah. the movie, sorry. Yeah. And, it, and it is, so by the by the end, I mean, it has been ingrained in you. Yes. It is yeah. now mm-hmm. your anthem. Yep. You walk away, mm-hmm. this is my song now. I yep. mean, 
If I may, I'm going to say I'm going to say two quick things. One that is very obvious, and one that may be slightly controversial. So I apologize in advance if you get a lot of blowback on your channel for this. Uh, number one, obviously, it's it's not good music. Right? It's objectively no. not good music. No, no, it's a it's a bit on the nose. Yes. Yeah, but I will but it's say fun. That it is fun. I will say this may be again this may be slightly slightly controversial. As I was listening to it for, you know, the umpteenth time that they play it, I was like, this is not that far off from a Frank Zappa original tune. He does a lot True. of stuff that sounds True. like yep. that. Yep. Yes. There's yep. just, yes. There's just not the insane musicianship break that comes. Mm-hmm. In like Frank Zappa did the Illinois Enema Bandit, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. He's written right. sort of objectively not as uh, good lyricism as I like to hurt people, <laughs> but it's not that it's not that far off from Joe's no, garage. It has it's a similar not. vocal delivery and chord progression. So hats off to them. I don't know if that was intentional by Sam right, Mann right. And, and Donald, yeah. but if it was, they're like, oh, what are you what are you looking for here? Sam, if you could give me something that sounds a little bit like Joe's Garage by Frank Sappa. Got you, Sam. <laughs> I like the word before. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Yeah. I love that little break he t- does in the middle of the song, too, where he kind of like, and get to the mat. Like, he has this little, like, he's having like a, it's like he's like dance. You can see him just sort of like grooving, but he takes a pause and then he when puts Henry, down his, his next yeah. thought. It's like, yeah. <laughs> when Henry, when Henry <laughs> Rollins. Uh, when Henry Rollins does his spoken word stuff, which is basically just stand up, when he makes fun of music that the like, he was like, when I was growing up, there's all these bands. They'd be like, "Yeah, we're going to party tonight." He sounds just like this when he's doing parodies mm-hmm. of the songs yeah. that they were like rebelling against when they made Black Flag records. I was like, okay, I mean, it's spot on for what it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, uh, if this was parroting Frank Zappa, you killed it. But I, I, I don't know. I, or I just he did. They just channeled him for the, while they were in the recording booth. I don't. Whether know. Ge- whether genius is intentional or unintentional, it's still genius. It's still yeah. the, mm-hmm. so true, Brian. True. So yeah. true. The, true words. The muse is the muse. <laughs> they really could have used that quote on the box uh, yes. for this movie. <laughs> uh, so let's switch to things we hated. Mark, what what you hate? Um, you know what I hated? I hated that this movie is really just made for super fans. And since I'm not a super <laughs> fan, I was lost yeah. through yeah, a lot yeah. of this movie. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know who I was watching or what mm-hmm. their significance was to wrestling no. or the movie I was watching. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that was something I kind of hated. You failed the fa- <laughs> They failed the first test of pro wrestling, which is talk people into the building and get people who normally wouldn't go to a show to buy a ticket. And they failed you mm-hmm. horrifically, Mark. They failed <laughs> right. you. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Well, that's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's when that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what did, what did you hate or did you hate anything? Okay. I did. Uh, so this is sort of a larger encompassing thing. I, um, I love pro wrestling. And I love the storytelling aspects of it. I'm currently writing a movie for a couple of pro wrestler friends of mine to star. In. Oh, awesome! <clears throat> yeah, and I'm and I'm very proud of it. I have for years have threatened, and I use that term specifically. I have for years, for 25 years, I have threatened to write a pro wrestling version of Hamlet because it's it has it is the Shakespeare of our day. It sure. has blood, brotherhood, betrayal, 
theater in the round, the squared circle, soliloquies are the promos, the, the groundlings, the, the, the peasants that made deals with prostitutes for three pence. Shakes, Billy Shakes knew who his crowd was and gave them <laughs> Titus Andronicus for it, right? That's right. That's right. language. Um, Copyright so Brian I, I, James O'Connell. We'll just say that right Yes, now. thank you. <laughs> uh, I've said many times that I think pro wrestling is the last truly great, successful folk art. If you were to put jazz in the Staples Center, you would have to have probably like 15 of the greatest jazz artists in the world to sell out the Staples Center. Right. Sure. But you put right. one pro wrestling show in there. They're selling that out. They're coming to see the spectacle all that. Mm-hmm. So a big part of that storytelling eyes of love is that things have to make sense. Right. Right. You set up right. the rule. You set the rules of this world. If this is true, what else is true? Math and consistency. Like like sci-fi authors right. have to do as screenwriters have to do as we're right. all improvisers and sketch comedians and directors and teachers. We've told people for years and years, don't put a hat on a yep. hat. What's the premise? And what infuriates me the most about the Sheik and the Detroit uh, NWA territory at the time is that the Sheik is not a good guy. He is clearly the heel, but he's on top for so long. And it doesn't matter who they bring in, whether it's Dusty Rhodes, whether it's Bobo Brazil. I I wrote about Bobo as well for, for the wrestling website I worked on it. None of them are matches. They're just, it's what's known in the wrestling business as a fuck finish. There's no clear winner or loser. Just things mm. happen. Yes. And then yes. Where where he's hitting the guy with the pencil or the, the foreign object that's taped. Like, what what's that he's pulling from his trucks? And so the Sheik will do things like attack that guy in plain sight. He'll attack the ref. Things that without fail usually end in a disqualification. But he's right. tossing the referee all around the ring and no one's ringing for the bell. And this is not right. new stuff. That audience is just there to see someone bleed in the main event. They don't give a shit about the story or the telling. And unfortunately, the people, the promoters, the Sheik and everyone else behind that, his family said, we will absolutely give that to them. The, the, the storytelling narrative and the fable and the fantasy that is pro wrestling's rules be damned. And so there's never a guy who wins. It's always just like to hit him, And then when, that happens. Then you have guys like, like Terry Funk, who is absolutely supposed to be the baby face, the good guy. He's attacking him. He's all bloody. He's uh, he's putting the figure four leg lock afterwards. They literally go forever where they cannot get him to undo the hold. Referees, uh, security guys—they're all begging Terry to do it. I'm like, so no one's a good guy. No one's a bad guy. Right, what is the story? Right. right. Why, what are we watching? If you, if you, yeah, and if you set up rules of like, get that snake away from me, I don't want that. And then the referee's like, you can't do that, you can't do that. All right, well, I'm going to beat this guy in the face with a foreign object and make him bleed right in front of you. And he's like, oh, geez, I wish you wouldn't, when you should be ringing the bell. And even in the mm-hmm. Bobo Brazil uh, match, you can see it's like, the winner is Bobo Brazil, the winner is Terry Funk, and they raise their hand. It's like, yay. But a DQ, I don't know if you guys picked up on this or not, because they did not make it clear in the movie at all. The champion cannot lose on a disqualification. So he remains champion. So there's no oh, catharsis. There's right, no pathos. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. No yeah. one learns anything and no one has people are sent home going, Yeah, blood. And like later on you see like, Yeah, smash his brains out. And here's my five year old girl with me. Right, right. No one right. no one's learning anything from it. Right. And then there's just there's no story. You just you're just showing up to watch the sheet cut somebody and this is mm-hmm. the guy that the new guy that bleeds this week, 
It's like, right, we'll see you next Tuesday night where we do it all over again. There's no storytelling. And that's also probably one of the reasons why it's so hard for you guys to follow the movie because there's none of the, Oh, and then there's the darkest hour and he's at his lowest, but Oh, he comes back. There's none of that. Yeah. There's none of that. None of that. When AEW does that, they play sort of fast and loose uh, on Wednesday nights in 2023 with what is considered a DQ. What's not considered a DQ. What's a foreign object. What's not a foreign object. Like I'll see someone, I'll see someone take their leather jacket they wear to the ring and strangle someone with it in the match. And the referee will just throw it out. But then later on, someone takes off their wrist tape, strangles a guy with it, covers it up with their elbow, wins it. And after they go to raise the guy's hand, the tape falls out. They go, restart the bell. You can't win that way. I'm like, what are the rules? What are the rules? Please, <laughs> right, just what are the right. rules? Yeah, just so tell that, me what I'm yeah. yeah, Yeah, this movie no had rules. All of that, and it's infuriating. Yeah. It's infuriating. Yeah, yeah. And, and there were some of those moments when, like, people would have their hands raised, and at that point, the Sheik is out of the ring. I'm like, what is with his belt? What's this, with his what's belt, go- he's won. What happened? Yeah, he's already left. Yeah, what's going? I don't. So yeah, there, there's that's very confusing. Yeah, they pe- people make fun of John Cena because he has very young fans, and all kids love John Cena. But the reason why they love John Cena is because hustle, loyalty, respect. He wins. He's very much like the Hulk Hogan of today of like, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, be a good American. I don't know when any of those people who have their kids with them, taking them, that one woman at the end, she's like, it's great family fun. Great. On the drive home, what do you tell your kids? See, <laughs> if you if you are a good guy and you don't cheat and you can, you'll win in the day and that's because that's, that's the right moral ethical thing to do where it's like, yeah, if someone cuts you open in the face you could put them in a figure four leg lock for 25 <laughs> minutes even though all the authority figures are begging them not to and that's the kind of person i want you to be when you grow up Whoa, no. fuck, one day man? i hope to bring a broken pencil to somewhere i'm not supposed to yeah. and cut somebody's forehead open with it that's my yeah. hope if someone cheats then you should cheat back i don't think right. it's a lesson that right. you're trying to tell or the story you're trying to tell and it's certainly not a lesson and also, like again, Mark, they're failing him because you get kids involved in wrestling by rooting for the baby, the white meat baby mm-hmm. faces, so that they grow up and they bring their own kids. No one, yep. right, no, right. I don't think any of those kids are like, man, I can't wait to tell my kid. And and Doctor Sony even talks about that at one point. She's like, but there is no catharsis. There is no. <laughs> right. It's a small amount of relief, and then the pressure builds again, and the anger builds again, the aggression builds again. I'm like, yeah, Doctor Sony. I, you get you get, you're the only person in this movie. Made wait, wait, wait. By what did she say again? I gotta I gotta prep for that final on Friday. What did she say? Again? <laughs> yeah. What did she? What exactly? Did she, there's no catharsis. Is that what you said? No, she said, "Oh man, I'm yeah. screwed for this final, guys. I don't know if I'm gonna get a good grade." And that test is sixty percent of your grade, by the way. So you really want to Doctor Sonia's tough. She's the only person in a movie about wrestling made for wrestling fans. Made right. by wrestling people who gets wrestling. She's like, no, this. They just watch people bleed, and they come back the next week, and they've learned nothing. There's no <laughs> tale of good or evil. Yeah. No one and triumphs. Then, it is. A, it is an actual good uh, summary of everything. Yes. Uh, no, um, there's no consequences for the evil of his actions because he leaves with the belt every day for ten years, for fifteen years, for however long the Sheik was on top because he was the promoter. He's like, I, I book myself to win. The research is clear. This does not disseminate that kind of aggression. It does not cause it to dwindle away and the individual to be relaxed. A quick side note, if you want to have a lot of fun after we uh, after we hang up, 
Uh, do you know who is like one of the biggest fans of pro wrestling, specifically WrestleMania, the pageantry, the spectacle of it? Werner Herzog. Wow. Werner yeah, Herzog. Really? Has, wow. has Why multiple- hasn't he been an announcer for a match that would be amazing multiple yeah multiple interviews he has talked about it where he goes he goes wrestlemania and pro wrestling and the wwe are america if i want to remind myself and tap into what is the true cultural zeitgeist of america i watch pro wrestling i watch wrestlemania he goes i used to i love this quote he goes um i used to watch anna nicole smith and then she died and now i must watch wrestlemania to get the heart of America. <laughs> wow. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Perfect. Wow. He's not wrong. He's not no, wrong. He's dead on. Sometimes you t- it takes someone from the outside to tell us who we really are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very true. I very, used to watch true. Anna Nicole Smith and then she died. So now I have to watch WrestleMania. All true. It's all true. Yeah. Wow. 100%. Erica, Erica, what is something what? you hated? I thought it was a little too much wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> It just—it is filled with it. Yeah, it's a lot of it. This is a little too much for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. You have no idea how spot on you are. There's a huge argument in wrestling going on right now between WWE and AEW fans, and they're like the different. Like WWE is all about characters and interstitials and promos and storylines, and AEW is like, no, we're putting on these great matches. But they sort of lack the like storytelling and being able to build to matches and, and, and having characters. You're not far off. There are so many people who are like, there's too much wrestling in AEW on this wrestling show. <laughs> yeah. You're straight on. Much. You're so yeah. spot on. There's a lot of there's a lot of wrestling there's in this. Too much. For sure. I remember I we were watching it. I turned. I was like, it's just too much wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. So that's what I hated. <laughs> oh. Perfect. Oh my god, that's perfect. I can't stand it. I can't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh god. Um yeah, uh, I I so this will this won't this is not a great follow-up now, but um but uh I guess I'm sort of in good. everyone else's camp where I'm like the thing I hated was that I watched it and I was like, I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. yep. what <laughs> happened storytelling. here. That's bad. I don't know what happened here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't yeah. know. Um, I think the best cut that they did of this whole movie is when they go from Andre the Giant puts the guy up on the Jeep and he, mm-hmm. they have a shot of him looking up and then they cut mm-hmm. to a sign of like a stereo store now in Los Angeles mm-hmm. pan down. And it's the guy who runs the, the stop the chic movement mm-hmm. walking down the street mm-hmm. and he introduces himself. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is the only moment yeah. like this in the whole film. Yeah. And so and it was so cute. He just like popped him up there. I wanted to just yeah. watch more of like Andre the Giant lifting to us what seems like a lot, but to him is like, this is nothing. It's just a grown man. He's, <laughs> he's a gentle giant. He's throwing those guys out of the ring and he's just like, and now you, you're yeah. out. You know, goodbye. Like he's just. I wanted more but, of that. Yeah. It, 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 you know, because a lot of times they're just shooting wrestling, but it's so it doesn't have like nice cuts it doesn't have anything that's telling a story that's the one visual 
yeah. storytelling cue we really get in the whole movie. Like the movie just, I don't know what is happening. Plus, mm-hmm. plus I liked watching the guy that he put on the roof of the car. I liked him try to balance as he's sitting on a sagging soft top from a Jeep and <laughs> yeah. he's trying yeah. to like yeah. not like, fall oh, over. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's and a he ride on the t- roll bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a quick question? And just sure, to see if sure. it fits the theory. Sure, cool. sure. I mean, we're all here. So, yeah, so pretty much every... <laughs> yeah, we're all here. What are we doing otherwise, right? It's the, it's the podcast. So the, in wrestling, you have to have like a gimmick, but you also have like, what does your character want? Just same way in like acting. And it has to be very specific. Like, why are you here? Me and me and Jeff Hawkins talk about this all the time. He's got a great uh, podcast called Shake Them Ropes. Uh, it's on the Voices of Wrestling podcast. He's very, very good at this stuff. There's lots of people who are good at this stuff. Sean Ross, uh, Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful is great at this kind of stuff. An actual journalist who like breaks news. and But he talks about these things. He talks about storytelling. Hawkins' thing is always like, you have to say, why are you wrestling here? Is it from, are you a prize fighter? You have money on that? And I have a theory that there's pretty much only five reasons that your wrestler can be wrestling. And if you, if as a wrestler, you're like, I'm here in this promotion to do this. And if you don't have that, you have to go back to the drawing board because your character doesn't have a want. Your character doesn't have a point of view. Right, doesn't right, have a goal. Right. And for me, it's friendship, family, fame, fortune, or fuck everyone. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here because my friend is getting beat up by the bad guys, and he said he needed my help. Or that. I'm mm-hmm. here because my family is the tradition is all. My family has always been big in this promotion, and or. My brother told me that he's getting beat up by the bad guys, so I'm here to put him in. I'm here for yep, fame. Yep. I'm here for glory, for legacy. Yep. I want to win championships. I want to be known as the best of all time. I'm here to make money, either as I'm a prize fighter. I'm here. This is how I feed my family. This is how I put food on the table. Or I'm going to be the richest guy, and I'm going to show off to all you poors, and I'm the best wrestler. So that's why I make the most money on that. Or I'm here to cause pain. I'm here to pro- <laughs> I want I want everyone to feel as bad as I feel and I hate everyone. Fuck it. Anna Nicole Smith is dead and so now yes. I must ruin you all. Yeah. <laughs> Friendship, family, fame, fortune, fuck everyone. Can you guys tell me a singular wrestler in this movie and what which one of those five that they're there for? I, I can only say uh Dusty Rhodes had like Family and fame and fortune sort of tied together. He he's the only one mm-hmm. who seemed that he had that. Yeah, there and was he's another gone guy. In the first ten minutes, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and I think like, uh, and then I guess the sheik is also just fuck everyone. But we don't know that yeah. because we don't really hear him say much. Exactly. Exactly. So you know he's hurting me, people, but like why? Right. And then oh. the ox is like. I got to take the Sheik down because he's screwing with everybody. And the Funk brothers are like, we've got to take the Sheik down because this has gone too far. Yeah, he hurt my brother, so now I'm going to fight him. Like, So right, at least right. there's some of that. Yeah. But any of the promos that they show, they don't. the whole point of promos is to say why you're here in the territory, why you're going to fighting this guy, why he's, why he's a tough opponent, but why you're also going to beat him because of the five that I just said, right? They right. never do any I of think that. I would argue... That you could probably add a sixth one, which is fun. And then maybe like um there some is of that. them are just there for fun. You know, there is that. I, you know what? You're a hundred percent correct. There are guys who are out there. I'm like, I'm here to put on a show for the fans. I'm here out of a good time. I'm a party guy. Yeah. I like that. You're right. It's yeah. fun. I'm gonna add a six. It's fun. You're right. <laughs> six. 
Yeah. I'm, here, yeah, to, I'm here to steal the show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's jump to our favorite scene. Mark, what was your favorite scene? Um, my favorite scene is there. It's it is a, a wrestler who I don't know who he is. Uh, I'm sure uh, Brian, you could tell me. <laughs> oh, okay. He is. He's talking about uh, why he likes wrestling, and he's there with his wife, who looks fairly disjected through, through the entire conversation. Uh, his daughter starts to show up at some point, and, and like a little and, but he, robe or kimono or whatever, like in a little robe. And mm-hmm. when he turns to his <laughs> wife and says, well, I'm a good guy, right? And she says, well, you eat a lot. And that's the response. <laughs> I thought, I yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like there was a conversation at home <laughs> about right. this scene right. where the, he was like, really? That was your response? That's that's all you had to say? I eat a lot? Yeah, I have I a have good appetite? I have to jump in because this was also my favorite scene. <laughs> and- yes. I also said, to, because Ryan and I were watching it, I was yeah. like, do you think that she is his prisoner or that she is just like, whatever, this is the guy that I got. And like, I don't know. I just love him. And he just, was she, is she just like fully accepting of like, this is who he is. He's into his right. things. I'm into mine. He does wrestling. I do, you know, um, rollerblades. And that's just. Like, these are our things. Just wish he wouldn't eat so fucking much, though. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yes. That's my one complaint, that, really. She was like, like, you eat a lot. And I was like, for a second, I was like, is this an inside joke that they have? Where he's like, ah. Or is he like, you bitch. I am yeah, taking everything in my power. How dare you bring mm-hmm. him Because you said the first, when we watched that scene initially, you looked at her and you went, is she there uh, on her own accord, yeah. Or is this <laughs> right. like? Has she basically been like, "No, you better be there when they interview me," you know? And she's like, "Yeah," oh, because crap. she's also sitting in this like v- that very ornate like wicker chair, mm-hmm. and he's like sitting oh, yeah. on the ground. So it's also yeah. like a very no, it's framed up very up. odd. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, yeah, that was my favorite scene too. Yeah, I think that's the Sheik's son, that guy right there. Guy, I mean, that, I, that you could have tell me if I'm wrong. Right, in the movie, I think that but. that's true. I, I yeah, don't know I mean, if he is or not. I know Farouk is uh, is is related and is part of the family. Also, famously, the Sheik's nephew Sabu was a big ECW wrestler. He was just on AEW a couple year a couple weeks ago as like sort of a legend uh, wrestler. And same thing, dressed the same way, used foreign objects. But the, Sabu's big thing is that he would do big, high flying, dangerous stunts into tables and to barbed wire, and he intentionally. Oof. He would intentionally screw up a lot, uh, what's known in parlance as a botch, but he would do it intentionally or he would try things that had a high uh, probability of not going well or coming off the way it was supposed to be planned. Uh, he's only one of the few people to do that when someone at, one of the other wrestlers asked him once, like, why do you do that? Like, you're just botching all over the place. He's like, because that makes it look real. Not doing it perfectly every time makes it look like it's a stunt, like it's pre-planned. Right, the right. And if I go to do one of those things, if I run across the ring and launch myself off of a folding chair and maybe just slightly miss the table, then everyone in the audience gets up with the idea of like, is he or is he not going to hit it? And even if I crash, right. it's like, what do people go to NASCAR for? Do they seem to finish the race or do they see them crash the cars? And it's like, God right. damn it, Sabu, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're, not wrong. you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So I don't, I don't know if that's actually the Sheik's son, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think so, because it's, it's, it's Captain Ed George, I think. Yeah, I he think has about the same he, amount of media literacy. 
or media training that the sheik does, <laughs> who just doesn't talk at all. It's like smart. Smart. He's too busy. He's too busy eating. To, I just to... want to imagine, like, we have a new guest who we don't know, and then we're like, "Hey, hey, I'm Ryan. I'm Erica." And then Ryan's, or Ryan's like, "This is Erica," and I'm like, he "Eats a lot." And then we just leave it at that. Like, I think we should just have that be our new, like, just to see, just to like, how are people, how are people yeah. going to react? Are they going to be like, oh, yeah, "Never stop yeah. eating." But, just eats a whole lot. But first, Erica, you have to sit up higher on the couch, and Ryan has to just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I sit down on the floor. No just problem. Kind of like casually. Yeah. I take, two different I levels. Mark, yeah, I take Mark into like a Zoom breakout room, and I'm like, "Hey, Mark, uh, quick question. Uh, as an aside, your family uh, is Ryan holding Erica hostage? Is this <laughs> right? It is a hostage. Yeah. Mark's it's... like, no, he's her prisoner. We gotta go back, or he's in danger. It's yeah. quite the opposite. <laughs> Erica has I've caught her on the phone trying to call the authorities they have made me watch a hundred of these things come (laughs) this is abuse you don't understand this is a drop in the bucket 100 is nothing (laughs) oh Brian what what was your favorite scene Uh, I know I'm I'm repeating myself here there's so many great ones to pull from Uh, but I think I think it has has to be Dr. Sonia and and Heather Feather where they have like when Heather Feather's like look I've I've been this size and this weight since I was 12 years old. That's no joke. And it's been real hard for me. There's not a lot of opportunities for someone like this, but I believe in my heart of hearts that those people out there want to see this. Do you think they can, you think Mm -hmm. a woman can be a man? Absolutely. You think people want to see that? I absolutely think they want to see a woman be a man. I can do anything that a man can do. I have the same power and strength. I'm like, this is the movie. Show me not even in 1985. This is the movie. This is the movie. Yeah. Get this woman on Barbara Walters, Charlie Rose, whatever. I'll listen to Heather Feather, Mm -hmm. a 20 year old, you know, philosopher, warrior, poet, talk for an hour. Please tell me there's more footage of that somewhere. Yeah. No doubt. On on the VHS, is there there, uh, extended footage, deleted scenes, no document? No. No. Missed opportunity. No. Missed opportunity. There's nothing. There's nothing there. There's no, not a lot of extras, particularly around that time. Though I would say this was made specifically also to capitalize on the Laserdisc market at the oh. time. So this gets released on VHS and Laserdisc in the very early parts of New World Video. Mm-hmm. Now, was there something extra on the Laserdisc? I don't know. I don't have the Laserdisc. I do have the VHS. I don't have the yeah. Laserdisc. Even then, I think it would still be too early in the Laserdisc a little before early. they really leaned into the director's yeah. commentary you know, like the way that kevin smith and paul thomas anderson call like laser disc commentaries their film school yeah yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah. really till more till dvds i'm not saying that they didn't have that on laser disc but you remember because when late uh, stage laser grams had that stuff yeah yes our, our our buddy justin who uh, grams who's been on the show many times big uh new world fan super fan he had a laser disc player so i go over to his house and watch a movie and you'd get really sucked into it and then it's like it stops and he gets up and he has to like flip the laser disc over and then put mm-hmm. it back in. And then, and it was like, oh, well, that's kind of a drag, you know? So, like, when D- kids, this is why people, when DVDs came out, we went crazy. I'm sorry, just such yeah. restraint that you exercised by saying that was a real drag of flipping the laser disc. Yeah. When you own VHS, I know, I know. DVDs, <laughs> a CDs, all of vinyl. I'm I know, proud of you. I know. Well, you eat a lot, but I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. So my favorite scene, 
It's just a brief one, and it's because it's one of the only moments of drama that happened in this, and that's when all of a sudden the Sheik changes management. And it's such mm-hmm. a non-moment. It's like you don't yeah. – I think I even really keyed into it more the second time I watched this because I was like, Eddie the Brain is through in the, the – In a match we didn't the see. Boss. We didn't – the boss. Mm-hmm. We didn't see yes. this happen, but mm-hmm. he threw in the towel – and stopped a match because he was concerned for the Sheik. And mm-hmm. so the Sheik wanted to switch to Abdullah Farouk. And he's the new manager. And they yell at each other and go after each other. And I was like, it's well, a great at least promo. Here's, here's a little <clears throat> drama. Here's a, we're getting yeah, a little drama. I want to talk. I want to talk. You came out to the ring with a towel. Never, ladies and gentlemen, in the history of the Sheik and yours truly, have I or the Sheik ever carried a towel. Maybe, Judas, you had the towel so you'd collect your pieces of stuff. I want to speak. You sold. I want to speak. You sold. I want to speak. Now, are these horrific uh, uh, stereotypes? stereotypes? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Is wrestling famous yes. for that? Yes. Yes. But at least yeah. at least the storyline wasn't about, you know, Jewish versus Muslim. It was about right. you were his original manager. You went away. I took over. I made him successful and famous. You came back. I threw in the towel. And that guy's like, no, no, no. In all the years, you or me, we've never gone to the ring with a t- carrying a towel. You knew ahead of time you were gonna throw in the towel and fuck him out of that. And then they Hot, literally the next week they hot shot the title right back onto the Sheik. So it's just like, again, <laughs> right? you watch right, the yeah. guy lose and you're like, oh, consequences are for people's actions. And then it's interesting narrative. <laughs> There's and then nothing. Like, There's nope. nothing. But you're right. It's a great promo. It's- All right. Let's get into some final questions. Here's just a couple final questions for I like to hurt people. Is it really scientific fact that watching wrestling will get rid of your inhibitions? Uh, no, almost always they have to say, <laughs> don't try this at home. These are trained yeah, professionals. Right. I've never heard anyone say like you watch wrestling. I mean, it's a catharsis. You watch Stone Cold Steve Austin beat up Vince for man, Vince McMahon. You go, Oh boy, I wish I could punch my boss too. But no one watched it and said, man, if I don't watch wrestling, I'm going to go in and fucking punch my boss. Good thing. I, <laughs> good thing. This has an outlet for me. Right. right? I can, I can yeah. cathartically release. He's going to quickly call my boss and tell him you should be so relieved. I watch wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to get punched off. Yeah. Well, people, I, I mean, people do that. out of my undies and just boom. <laughs> boom on your face. People do that religion all the time. They're like, you know, if it wasn't for religion and, and you know, the, the fear of eternal damnation, then people would rape and murder and all that. No one says it about man. If it wasn't for wrestling, People would be out there body body slamming folks right. in the streets. Mm-hmm. Right? Making love to the mat. <laughs> Making love to the mat. Um, this is a, maybe more of a question for you, BOC, but um, this okay. is a, a question that I have from a former – I listened to this interview. as uh, a former wrestling announcer, Robert Kate. He's a Canadian uh, wrestler, and he this is from an interview he did with the Hannibal TV, so shout, shouts to them. Okay. But this is a little clip from what he said about about the Sheik. Uh, he would he was he was um, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and uh, he was every horror film to a kid wrapped up in run in one. Right, uh, Jason Voorhees and Freddy from Friday. He was he was just he was he was he was a terror as a kid. He was like a terror. He'd destroy young wrestlers and jobbers on television. He'd maul them, leave them uh, bloody with permanent back issues from the merciless camel clutch. He'd carve their heads with pencils and pins and popsicle sticks. 
And his live matches at Maple Leaf Gardens were were short, but but they were total mayhem. And and they usually resulted in an absolute community adrenaline rush. He was a bloodthirsty, violent, savage guy. And uh, I believe he was the originator of, of hardcore wrestling. Hmm. Was he? Um, I mean, his nephew Sabu definitely is a is a hardcore wrestling legend. Uh, I mean, to his original part of saying like, yeah, I can I can squint hard enough and see that like for kids of that age, pre Jason Voorhees, pre Freddy Krueger, pre the slasher film aesthetic. Yeah, he probably was that sort of boogeyman for them for kids and all that. To say he invented hardcore wrestling. I, I said because there are guys in Japan that were opening each other themselves up around this time. Uh, when you have a movie where Abdullah the Butcher shows up, who has been like doing that gimmick for a long time, none of those guys were like the first ones to do it. Yes, it's color television, so yes, the blood pops and does that more stuff. But when I think of hardcore wrestling, I think of tables, ladders, chairs, barbed wire. Uh, FM FMV or FMW in Japan was doing so like exploding barbed wire death matches. That's the stuff that they started aping in ECW and all that. They weren't no one in ECW, even with his own family members and Sabu, were going yeah. And then I have to do this exactly the way that my uncle was doing. I, to be fair, I'd say the way that some people call Pete Townsend the Godfather of Punk. Okay, I can maybe see the yeah, sheep okay. being sort of sure. the godfather yeah. of hardcore, but you wouldn't call the Who a punk band. So right, <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Definitely popularized it. Be like, yeah, it was just wild mayhem, and they're like, the match was really short. Yeah, they were fuck finishes. Nothing. They were never satisfying. Your main event was just <laughs> come see the people bleed, and it was he was a one trick pony. To be perfectly honest, yeah, Doing a three minute yeah. match where you just stab a guy in the face with a fork is not is not good in ring what they call ring generalship or, or being a ring general. It's not good in ring storytelling to be certain. So, well, I mean, at his age, he, he needed to be in bed. Yeah. So, I mean, Greg, you know, God bless him. He was still, <laughs> yeah. he was, he was, look, he was still in there. Mark. I, I, I just had one. I had a, I had a final question. I wanted to submit to the, oh, to the group. Please, here. please, please. Um, Cause this is brought up in the movie, um, but it's not brought up as a question, but I needed to ask, if you knew that a man was going to be gored to death in the L.A. Coliseum this Saturday, would you go? <laughs> cool final question, Mark. Mark, would you, Mark <laughs> would you? Would you well, go, I just, Mark? I, I, I just no, I, I wouldn't. Well, wait, do you have tickets? Hold on, do we already <laughs> well, have tickets? Are What's we the already, party situation? Are, is this is a way to surprise us about this weekend? I'm <laughs> <laughs> bringing my own snacks. The retail the retail prices on SeatGeek are through the roof. Yeah, so, forget it. Forget it. I just want to know if you want these because if not, I could sell these and I could go basically for free. So <laughs> just, just let me know if you're up in tickets or... in the background. <laughs> Incredible. All right, let's get into some quick research. Incredible. This is going to provide you a little background into why this movie is so disjointed. This is originally was originally going to be a horror film called Ringside in Hell, which started shooting in 1977 for Jackson's Michigan company called Savage Cinema. This is something from the Detroit Free Press in June 5th of 1977. This movie will have everything, the article says. Nubile young girls aplenty on the stage and in the streets, a psychotic killer who desires to deal them only in terrible ways. 
a mysterious confrontation with the forces of Satan, bad language, blood everywhere, an ultra cinematic in the ring exorcism with burning ropes, rolling fog, falling lights, and thousands of screaming fans. Is the Sheik really possessed? Will Father Billy Nelson take the final fall against the forces of evil? Does Dusty Rhodes dare enter the ring against the supernatural? What is Andre the Giant really like? And then Donald Jackson says himself, we're not just making a movie. We've done that already. This time we want to do more, something incredible. We want to make the super exploitation film of all time. The plot concerns the Sheik feeling that he's down and he's been on this losing streak. And people are starting to think that he is possessed. If you remember that scene before a match where Dusty Rhodes talks. Oh my God. Uh, but what I'm saying is, you know, tonight, uh, this building and, and the people coming in, they want to see me beat the Sheik. I feel I can do it. I'm ready for it. I know it's going to happen. I've never been more ready for anything in my life, you know, and I know it's happening, but there's still some eerie about it. I don't know. The devil might be here. You know what hey, I mean? you want to know something speaking to that, man. You know, I saw your buddy, Father Bill Nelson tonight. I think that's part of this narrative. This is part of like, he's not sure they're going to have to do a, uh, a exorcism of wow. the Sheik at the end of the movie. I think these are the threads that we're still, that are still in the movie. Wow. I like that scene too. It was the most, one of the most realistic scenes where he's like, let me come and talk to you. He's like, and then Dusty Rose goes, yeah, come with it. Which I love. <laughs> yeah. Come with it. Yeah. 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 I'm a fa- oh, he's coming too. Okay. Oh, so that's, that's from a film that they didn't, that sounds yeah. like they wrote a treatment. They shot three scenes and they went, well, this, we can't do this. This is garbage. And they pivoted. They, they were, they were shooting it. And I think the problem was is money as, as many of these things are, but mm-hmm. a killer. So a lot of the, these articles about like the different women in the cast are like, am I dying today? Who's dying? Who's getting killed? Because there's like a slasher kind of element wow. going on. Um, Look, I've watched a lot of wrestling and I've heard a lot of excuses for why someone goes on a losing streak, but I've never heard anyone blame Satan possessing them and making them weak. What a bitch move. You know, you were talking about losing so much is because the devil possessed me and made me weak. This is is what's so interesting because it's it is it is like that's their storytelling. We we were talking about the lack of storytelling here. This is the storytelling. The devil don't make it easy. So disjointed. And energy. in fact, like, like, a, <laughs> that's right. The, uh, that says even in the article, they admit Jackson, wow. how's this all going to work, right? How are you going to have this wrestling and, and the fighting? Well, Jackson et al. acknowledged that the final configuration of their storyline will quote unquote evolve as they put it down on film. Again, he was a improvisational filmmaker and he would make things up as he went. And so he was making the story up as they went along. Uh, but they Mike said Lee, they Mike, Mike figures could never right <laughs> right, <laughs> right. i mean they said the film will have a com- it will be a combination of stage scenes assorted shots of the detroit area and live footage of wrestling bouts at places like cobo hall this is the exact process that he he makes the rollerblade and hell comes to frogtown sequels and then he told he told the lansing state journal in april of 1977 the film will appeal to a broad range of people because it's an occult movie, it's a sports movie, plus it's a good old-fashioned, safe, Alfred Hitchcock-type murder mystery, he said, because they, would not, they weren't going to reveal the murderer till the end. I'm not saying everybody has to be David Fincher, but you have to have some kind of plan going in, man. You, you got to have just... something. You got to have something ready, yeah. Um, Mark, 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 would you have made it to the end of Principal Photography or would you bounce? Would you have walked from the set? 
Like whether you're an actor, a key grip, anything, where you have made it through where it just the, clearly the story just keeps changing from day to day. And there's like no shot list, no, no sense of like what kind of movie you're supposed to make. And do you make it to the end of principal photography or do you bounce? Um, I would have been so wildly curious where this movie's going to go that I would have hung. I would have hung with Fair. it because yeah. the, you're because you're going to go through the. Fun. I'm really excited to be on this movie. Fun. Um, yeah, I I Fun. I'm really I'm really frustrated with the way this movie's being organized and with all the changes you're going to go down. You're going to be thinking, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Then you're going to go to the. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Let's yeah. just see where this right. thing goes. Because this yeah. could be the ride of a lifetime. Fancy free. And that's, We're on the ride. That's where I would be. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I, I changed my mind. I'm with you now. I love the idea of getting to the last day and being like, today? Today's the last principal photography. Interesting. It, back in the martini. That's the martini, and that's a wrap on everything we've done. And this is, don't need anything more. This is what's going to be the movie? Cool. Cool, 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 cool. And we're going to cut all this together, and we're going to have a movie? That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's the last day at that moment of them going, all right, that's a wrap on everyone. All right, let's go go to the bar and have the wrap party. There's hors d'oeuvres. Like, really? Wow. This was the last day of shooting. I would have not not thought that. And you're going to be, you're going to be with your friends. You're going to be like, yeah, I just finished shooting a movie. Oh, awesome. What's it about? Um, Hmm. Wrestling, hmm. possession, murder. <laughs> I won't. I, I mean, uh, it's got it all. Also, you know, an Alfred Hitchcock type uh, mystery. You know, so some for everybody. Funny though, Erica. The another thing from this Detroit Free Press article that Donald Jackson said is that he said he did not want it to be filled. The movie did not want it to be filled with too much wrestling. Oops, all berries. He says. <laughs> Well, he failed. Yeah. Well, this is the this is the original movie, right? <laughs> so he says that um, after filming so much wrestling, we decided we had too much that we didn't want this to be primarily a wrestling movie. So we introduced the subplot of a psychotic killer. Obviously, that was the. I'm gonna kill you, brother. This isn't me, <laughs> but I'm gonna stab you to death, brother. You're not gonna live another day. You hear me? <laughs> Obviously, that's not Who what. Who could it be? Yeah. Who could the killer be? Obviously, didn't finish making Ringside in Hell. I would again. I'm. This is a guess, but I'm guessing they just didn't have enough money to do didn't it. But they did have it. all I this. They started. No, I mean, yes. But what they did have is lots of footage of wrestling because they've been shooting so much wrestling. So that footage, I guess, makes it to New World. They obviously take it and say, okay, we're going to make something. As I mentioned, they put it out on Laserdisc and on VHS on July 16th, 1985. Summer release. Of <laughs> summer release. Yeah, you want to you get in there. Uh, the low, low price of uh, $59.95 for the VHS. And just, That's a $1985. Oof. Holy jeez. Wow. And God. just thirty four ninety five for the laser disc. That's it. I guess that you couldn't I guess eat, it's you, that thing. You're a completist. You're a cinemaphile. There's only so many things being released on laser disc. You 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 purchase it. I understand that. Yeah. There are guys that still buy. There's guys that still buy beta 
stuff and like yep it's just, sure it's a superior quality to vhs like they're still doing that in, in 21st century right why erica why did you look i'm at not ryan? buying beta why did you look at ryan the, i do you. not that's you buy you're the beta, beta. Guy. <laughs> i do not buy beta i do not have a beta you player immediately looked at him yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah you looked at me immediately the other new world Ugh. movie released in july of 1985 is tough turf Woo. so that's another oh, yeah. uh which we Good have times. covered on this podcast one of our hundred so far. Uh, here's a response of this movie, a, a a review prior to release of I Like to Hurt People in VHS, the uh, Pittsburgh please Post say Roger Ebert. Please say Roger Ebert. Please it's not Roger Ebert. Ebert. I wish. I wish it was. I wish it was. Uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette says, I hereby nominate this tape and the trend that produced it and the money-hungry parasites who distribute it for the Nausea Trophy 1985. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, at least it got an award. Fuck everything. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, talk about a fuck everything review. Fuck wow. everybody. Oh. Uh, as for the, the response of The Chic, of course, they had been shooting this stuff for years, right? So uh, this is something that he said, the Mount Vernon Argus in July of 1985. He says, they followed me around with their cameras for two years, and then I didn't hear from them for four years. All of a sudden, they called me, called back, and they said, and they said they'd sold it. I said, "Fine, send the money." So that's what he's doing it for. <laughs> fortune, the money, fortune, fortune. That's that answers it. The nausea award. I'm like, are those real awards? And if they're not, it's real not awards, even the nausea award. It's only the nausea trophy. Yeah, <laughs> nausea well, trophy. It's an award. It's Damn. an award. Still it's something to put on the mantle. And with the way that it's shot, the cinematography and the low the low quality of the uh, of the lighting, and again, they're running and gunning and making it up as they go along. There's also not that much blood in it. It's not. No, it's, it's certainly not splattering. No. It's it's not Evil Dead too, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's it's, even, it's like we've already ta- we've already covered it and talked about it. Look, the thing's a mess. You move on. Yeah. This person was like, no. Yeah, I have it, to make Peter... a stand here in July of 1985. Mm-hmm. I cannot let this pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that's 85, <laughs> when did when did Peter Jackson's Dead Alive come out? Like that's the one that says the record. 90, blood, right? 92, 92 or 93. Yeah. Oh, well, strap in yeah. Pittsburgh Post Gazette. It's just going to get yeah. worse. <laughs> We're just seven years down the line, you're going to see something a lot worse. You're gonna look at lawnmowers oh, in a totally different way, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> I think that was on the poster. You're gonna look at lawnmowers in a completely different way. <laughs> was, was that your was that your was that your Trump? <laughs> I was somewhere, it was somewhere between Trump and Casey Kasem, right? Yeah, it really was. It really was. We've That's got your it. new character. You're We've working out it. your character as we <laughs> during the podcast. Erica from Los Angeles calls in and says, love the show, too much wrestling. And for her, is all the blood in the world by air supply. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that is it. That is it for I Like to Hurt People, our 100th movie. Brian, thank you so much for joining I'm us so once honored. again. I'm so honored to be what here. What a blast. When you, hit the, when you hit the century mark, that it's a, a rare yeah. treat. I did not. 100 films. I'm glad you didn't tell me until I got here. I think I, I think I would have been too nervous. To come off, I knew it was 100. 100, 100. And this seems like a, I almost felt like this is kind of a perfect one for us to hit 100 because this is, again, as we've said this many times in this podcast, 
I don't know who releases this movie other than New World Pictures. I don't know another. No one else is touching this. Well, the NWA and the NWP go hand in hand. It's really, that's the way it does. Yeah, that's right. And and I'm sure they picked it up for a song, but still, they put this thing out. And they were like, you know who's going to want to buy this? Laserdisc people. And Laserdisc people were a unique breed. They were like, but they want this. I can only imagine. I I eat too much. So brave. So brave for turning down laserdiscs. I'm so proud of you. BOC, where can people find you online? Tell everybody where they can find you. Oh uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on all the social medias. You can either find me at B3OC or the real B3OC because someone else already had B3OC on TikTok, which is I guess I was just too late in the game. In the true in the true <laughs> sense of in the true sense of pro wrestling, I'm gonna put other people over. Again, I think you should check out uh, Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful.com. He does a lot of great stuff about wrestling. He explains all this stuff very well. Uh, my boy Jeff Hawkins and uh, and Chris Novembrino on Shake Them Rotes. Uh, you can find uh, Hawkins at Crap Game Thirteen on Twitter. He's, he has a really really good mind for for wrestling, and he talks about the kind of stuff that we talked about, like why stuff needs to make sense or not. Anyone check out my boy uh, uh, Johnny TV, aka John Morrison, and, and his lovely wife uh, Taya Valkyrie on AEW, and, and all those guys. Uh, it is a golden age of wrestling right now, and there's a lot of good stuff going on, not only here, but also in independent uh, wrestling of like game GCW. And there's a guy named Effie that I think everyone, E-F-F-Y, I think everyone should check out. He's sort of like a gay Stone Cold Steve Austin. He'll do like death matches and stuff like that, but he's a true independent and, and queer icon. Uh, he runs he runs a big uh, pay-per-view event called Effie's Big, Great, big Gay Brunch every year which is an all queer uh wrestling show and it features a lot of like you know death matches and stuff like that so in true wrestling sense you got to put the you got to put the other guy over so i'm 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 promoting other people versus more promoting my own stuff very cool very cool thank very, you very it's cool awesome having you we are so thrilled to oh, have you back and thank you again i was honored to be invited a second time to be certain oh yeah no thank you for being here and thank you for teaching us about i mean this is you know we didn't know anything about this this is awesome uh what a cool episode i mean vampires be, so. wrestlers what's yet what's next are we, are we going are we going alphabetical because it's t-u-v-w like vampires wrestlers what's, are we doing Something yeah. with an X? I don't know. Xylophones? Uh, Frank, What's the next movie? Yeah. Uh, did did New World Pictures Zeus? put out any NC-17 or X-rated films? Did they put out like a Frankenhooker or anything like that? They did uh, They they did do Crimes Crimes of Passion, which we have uh, talked about, which did done, get a... Clearly. Which, yeah. which, which was did was released on home video in unrated form because they they otherwise they would have gotten an X or an NC-17. Based, based on Erica's so. response, I, uh, a reaction that yeah, I that's- see that you would... You'd rather watch I Hurt People for a second time than yes, watch Yes, I would. E- Erica uh. had a very difficult time oh, with that one. Uh. But as Mark says, a fun family film. Not unlike oh, this great one. Fun. <laughs> Super fun. Very fun family <laughs> film. Thank you so much Incredible. for listening to this episode. We hope you're enjoying our Vidtober uh, movies. We've got a we've covered a lot of Total classics this month, I had to say. Some incredible <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you want to check up all of our episodes, all of our articles, our t-shirts, please buy a t-shirt. Go to our website, newworldpicturespodcast.com, and you can find everything there in one convenient location. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. Bye, everybody.